morning, everyone. Glad to be back this morning after a Took a week off last week. My wife, Laura, and I needed to get away for a little while. I think I had told the story um, uh, of just kind of the struggles that had gone on with her mom, who had gone through, uh, uh, we'd cared for her. She had Alzheimer's for 10 years, but then a very sudden change of events and uh, went in to have a simple gallbladder procedure, discovered a lot of cancer, was discharged to uh, um, hospice and died a week later. I mean, it was this really crazy fast thing that happened. And then just all the whirlwinds of activities that come in uh, following that with funerals and family coming in and everything. So we just needed to get away for a few days. Uh, those are never vacations. They're just kind of getaways. And so we went to one of our favorite places, which is Sedona, Arizona. And, and normally Sedona in June is like 80, 83 degrees, perfect temperature. It's great. Hang by the pool, go hiking, play some golf. Well, Arizona was in a heat wave while we were gone. And so the, uh, the temperature pretty much every day was about 20 degrees above normal. So the coolest day in Sedona while we were there was 97. It got up to as high as like 103. Went to the Grand Canyon one day, it was 106. We got there at like seven in the morning. So beat the crowd, beat, beat the hot. Uh, and then when we left to come back and we came back a little bit early, we left Phoenix with 116. That was stinking hot. And we flew back in the plane, left a couple of days early, because also what was going on was um, a couple of uh, wildfires that were up near the Flagstaff area, and they were just letting them burn to kind of burn off old fuel. And, um, and so they said for about the whole month of June, there's going to be this smoke that kind of settles into the valley where we were staying. And, then it'll, and my wife has asthma. It's like, this is just not the trip we wanted this to be. Uh, still played some golf, did some things. She went to the spa a few times. And, but we couldn't wait to get back to Colorado. On our arrival back to Colorado... We were here just in time for this massive hailstorm in Highlands Ranch. And if you haven't met my wife yet, she's an avid gardener. I've talked before about her blog called uh, Colorado Backyard Gardener. So gardening is in her blood. Gardening is what we do and think about for the full year. And so nothing is worse for a gardener than hail. It's absolutely evil. You know, so we're out there throwing stuff over plants and whatever we could to stop it. It still crushed things. She claims she lost 50% of her garden. Yeah, I think it's like 25%. But I'm not going to argue with her because it's her garden and she loves her garden and gardening is a crucial part of just how we go about our year. And it's a, it's a year round thing. I mean, we have grow lights, you know, that we have these full spectrum lights and I'm sure the neighbors go, what are they growing in there? Uh, um, but we start everything from seed, you know, tomatoes and peppers and everything you can imagine. Um, and, and lots of stuff have been planted and we're starting to come up and looking really good. And I mean, she goes so far that you know, you're, you're always looking at how you're going to amend the soil the coming year. We have the compost stuff in the back that you're always turning, and that's for next year because we already put this year's on. She has a, she takes my cooking thermometer and puts it in the ground to make sure the ground's the right temperature for when you can plant tomatoes. You know, it's important to do everything right. And um, so it's important. You know, how do you amend the soil? What are you going to plant where each year? Because you can't plant these tomatoes in the same place last year because that took out the nutrients. You've got to put nutrients, you know. So, so we've transformed our backyard over the years into this massive garden. And she blogs about it, um, called Colorado Backyard Gardener. I mentioned it, I think, a few weeks ago. Uh, and the, the subtitle for the blog post is um, Cultivating a Rooted Hope. Because gardening has always been a metaphor for her, for, for how God works in life and how God works in creation. And, and we've been doing this teaching series in the book of Mark called Great Beginnings. And it's about fresh starts, fresh starts, fresh understanding for who God is. And when Jesus came on the scene, he completely turned over, topsy-turvy, everything people had believed up till then about what the kingdom of God was like. Who is God and, and who is Jesus, the Messiah? And how does that play out? And, and to me, nothing 
picks up that picture of fresh starts better than a garden, right? I mean, you, you harvest things the previous year and, you, and, and you, you dig up the ground and you prepare it for the next year and then you plant new seeds and new life comes. And it's amazing to watch. Uh, her, her blog is also just more than about gardening. It's about life and, and all of life and how do we learn. And, and she also blogged a lot about what it was like to care for her mother with Alzheimer's. And if, if you happen to go to the blog, you'll see some fascinating stories about that journey that she kind of lived outwardly with everyone. I, I'm mentioned a few times in the blog, uh, not by name. I'm just called my personal chef. So, so I'm the cook in the family. I build the boxes. I build the stuff. I get it ready. She grows it, produces great bounty, and then I cook it. It's a great, a great deal. But, but gardening just gives this amazing picture. Of, of life and, and how God is at work. Uh, this, this series we're doing on the book is about these fresh starts. And the title of today's passage from uh, Mark chapter 4 is called Roots. Uh, it's going to be a very familiar story to a lot of you, often called the parable of the sower. Uh, but we're going we're to let it get into us a little differently this morning. And as soon as we start reading the passage, we're going to see that it says Jesus, had, you know, a lot of people had come around him again down by the lake so he could teach. And that's becoming a common trend, right? He teaches and all these people follow huge crowds. We've, we've heard that before. But here it says, and he taught them in parables. And so before we even get into the passage, we really have to get a better grasp of what is a parable. It's a, a type of teaching that Jesus did a lot. Um, if you were to look at a, a children's Bible in the New Testament part, it's always the parables, the stories of Jesus. And if we were to go to room, around the room and say, so what's a parable? Uh, um, a lot of the things would come out, well, a parable is a story. Uh, a parable is to, a, a way to make a, a complex idea simple. And you do it in a parable because it's a story format, and a story is easy to remember. Or we'll think that a, a parable is an illustration, it's like, you know, Pastor Dale's giving the sermon about this, and he just talked about gardening. That was an illustration. It wasn't really a parable. It was an illustration to make a point. And that's kind of how we tend to think about parables. But the parables really aren't part of our culture that much. They were a big part of the culture Jesus lived in. And I would present to you today that a parable is actually a much more important thing than just a story. A parable is not a simple little story that'll help people who didn't get the point catch up. Okay, you're having troubles getting this? Okay, how about it's like a farmer. Plant seeds, some of them grow, some of them don't. You get it now? No. It's not just a simple little story to help people who are a little slow catch up. It's not what a parable is. Uh, it's not merely to illustrate a point. Uh, a parable really is much deeper than that. It, it's a way of making kingdom truth known. And the important part of a parable is who's doing the teaching, who's doing the telling of the story. In this case, it's, it's Jesus. He's the one telling the story. He wants to make absolute truth known, not illustrate something else, but the story itself is the kingdom truth. Um, in fact, the only way we can really understand a parable is if we let ourselves enter into the story, enter into that world of the parable. Uh, parables are indirect teaching. And most of us have spent our life in education um, when we went through school, went through college, if you're a teacher. It, we're mostly about direct teaching. That's what our, our culture is about. Those pedagogical methods of instruction are about getting people to learn the facts. Tell me what the things are. Give me the information, and then we'll do a test on it. I will answer accordingly. And we'll see in parables that that isn't really the way it works. Jesus didn't tell a parable and then give three points and say, take these home, there'll be a quiz later. 
the story itself is, is complex and deep, and we have to enter into it not to learn propositions, but to be transformed. Indirect teaching takes a lot of effort on the student's part. It isn't just listening and absorbing. It's being challenged. You see, through his teaching, Jesus was trying to revolutionize their perspective about God and life. Revolutionize it, turn it on end, upset the status quo. And we've seen that over and over in the last few weeks in this series. Remember Jesus, he came on the scene and kind of snuck in, right? It wasn't some huge announcement. It was this very subtle, all of a sudden Jesus was there in the book of Mark. He just showed up at the river and was baptized. and Went to the desert and came back and started teaching repentance. Remember when we said repentance? He says, repent and believe the good news. And repentance is literally a turning from one thing to something else. He's saying, turn from your old allegiances and old commitments and old expectations and old understanding of God and the kingdom of God and follow me and I'll teach you a new perspective. We'll gain new expectations, new commitments, and I'm going to show you that your perspective of the kingdom is completely wrong from what it is. And we're going to learn that as we go along the way. And so he wants to teach that through parables. Parables are intended, if we let them, to shatter our comfortable world. And that's exactly what happened when he told them. So let's jump right into this story and keep those things in mind, what a parable is not and what it's for as we read the first part of this passage. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the water, on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. In his teaching, he said, Listen, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's stop there for a moment. Another thing about parables is that the the, the people who first would have heard this, that Jesus was talking to, would have understood some terms in there that we don't. That would have been regular things, like like the word sower for them. In in the, the Hebrew scriptures, the idea of sower, God was the sower. He sowed his work among his people. That was a, a normally understood thing. And so this is a story about God. This is a story about people. They, they grasp that from the beginning. It, and there are always images and words that go on in these stories that are outside our experience, but that audience would have understood. It, it's kind of like if we open up a newspaper, or now we don't open them up much, right? We go online to see a newspaper, and you see a, a political cartoon, right? And there are certain images that come, and we know what they are because we're, we know the story. We know the imagery. So things like um, if we see a picture of a, of a bald eagle in a political cartoon, it's like that's talking about the United States, right? Or back in the 80s, if you saw a picture in some stories of a bear, we're saying, well, that was the Soviet Union. Or if we see a certain kind of picture of a lion, that might be uh, Great Britain. Or if we see um, a picture of an elephant, that's a Republican. The donkey is the Democrat. I mean, if you show a, a pig and a politician and the pig has like pockets with money pouring out of it. It's like pork barrel politics. I mean, we know these pictures because we've seen them. And so there's imagery Jesus would have portrayed through stories. People go, oh, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about, you know, God. He's talking about a sower and the seeds are going to represent something. That's kind of a normal approach. 
What's interesting in this story, it says he was down by the lake and he taught a lot in parables and then he gives this parable and the, the first verse after the parable says when he was alone. So we've left this scene and he went somewhere else. And so the, the first part just kind of ends there and we might deduce, well, he just told this story about the farmer sowing seeds. Some of it took root and grew. Some of it died quick. Some of them had, didn't have a chance. It was on the hard pan. Uh, let him who has ears hear. Who has ears, let him hear the end. Well, that sounds a little obscure. That's not really teaching the way we understand teaching. I mean, we believe in principles of teaching like uh, you haven't taught until they've learned, right? How do I know? What was his point of that? Well, it's like if I just read this story or I told the story about my wife and we came back and hail destroyed it and then just said, let those who have ears hear. how long he's going to sit there. Is that it? What am I supposed to do with this? It's not a very compelling sermon. I'm not taking a nugget of truth with me back home. It, it wouldn't be satisfying. Right? End of the story. Jesus said, hey, let his, those who have ears hear. And he left. That's not how we approach teaching. I I want you to leave a sermon and go, well, I really grabbed something in that. Not, boy, I left more confused than when I came. I know that probably happens when I'm up here. Well, that was interesting. I don't know what he was talking about. That's not good teaching. Let's go on. We'll figure something out. It says, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. Ah, they asked him something. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they may turn and be forgiven. And we go, not only is he messing with typical teaching theory where he's being obscure, but now it sounds like he's saying, and I don't want everybody to know. You get it, you don't. You understand it, and it's a secret over here. That does not sound like Jesus. I thought, I thought he wanted everybody to come to repentance. I thought he wanted everybody to know him. I thought he died for everybody. Now you're saying, well, some know it, and I keep it secret from somebody else. And this is where we have to understand some other terms, like the word secret. You know, maybe a better literal translation of this Greek word would be the word mystery. But that's still a trouble, because a mystery to us is like something you have to solve. A secret is unknown except to those who are in, in on the secret. A mystery is like it's knowable, but I've got to solve it. It's like a puzzle. I've got to figure out, and this is confusing. But that isn't how they would have understood the word mystery. They would have understood mystery here as something that's knowable, but the only way to know it is through divine revelation. This is something that God has to reveal. And what is wrecking havoc on their world is Jesus basically saying to them the secret of the kingdom of God, and they would have understood kingdom of God, not necessarily in that term, but the idea that God rules and reigns in all of life, the creator and sustainer of everything, the one who loves his people. They would have understood and held on to that promise. But how dare this guy say the secret of the kingdom has been given to you? The thing that only God can reveal has been given, and you know what? It's me. 
That's messing with my world. I, I believe in the kingdom. And this guy dares to say that that secret, that thing that God reveals is him. And it's not so much, and then he has this language about insiders and outsiders, right? Those outside don't get it, those inside are. And what's beautiful about this little passage in Mark is that Mark says, you know who the insiders are? It's those who heard the story and said, Jesus, can you tell us more? The outsiders were those who were indifferent. As we're going to see in this story, they, they all heard the same thing. It says, those are on the outside, everything is said in parables. A literal translation is more, uh, for those on the outside, everything comes in parables. Meaning even the miracles they saw, the casting out of demons, the, the miraculous events, the authoritative teaching, they saw it all. They experienced it all just like those who asked questions, but they were indifferent to it. They say, this can't be what he says it is. They were indifferent so those on the outside are, are indifferent. Those are insiders said, I want to know more. They said they went and asked Jesus, tell us more about the parable. These are people who had responded to the call, come follow me, and they did. And at that point, they, they became seekers of, we want to know. And Jesus desires that outsiders will become insiders, but what it takes is that curiosity. I believe what you're saying, but tell me more. Help me understand this. Then Jesus said to them in verse 13, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? In other words, this idea he's talking about is absolutely foundational. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. The crucial point of this whole passage is this word here. He starts out with listen, and then he says after the story, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And then he talks about all the, soy, all the seeds that are sown, and it says the people heard it, they, they heard it, and then they all reacted different ways. And after this group heard it, after this person heard it, after this person heard it, after this person heard it, representing the different soils, they all responded differently. So I would propose this morning that one of the challenges of this is that this, this passage that's usually been couched in terms of being about evangelism. And we are sowers of the word. We are out there preaching and teaching and telling people about Jesus. And some people will receive it and follow Jesus and some won't. I think there's an element of that that's true. But this passage, as Jesus says, this story is about the kingdom of God. The whole kingdom, the whole rule and reign of God. It's not just about how do you tell people and say, will you accept Christ? When we view it through that lens of evangelism, those of us who have heard the message and we have said, yes, I believe in Jesus, forgive my sins, I want to follow you, we will say, I was good soil. And I never read, need to read this passage again because it's about me coming to know Jesus and becoming a Christian. 
but Marcus painted this picture of what Jesus said. Jesus' teaching encompassed so much more. In fact, I don't think this is really the parable of the sower. I think it's the parable of the soil or the parable of the seeds. Because once again, for us to truly be messed with in this story and let it transform us and let it challenge us, we have to enter into the story. And and as we've seen in other passages, how do we identify with the characters of the story? And the characters in this story are the farmer and then it's seeds that fall on soil. It says the people, the people are like seeds that fall in soil. Some people hear it, but they're like seeds that fall on the hard pan, right? They don't have a chance of growing. The hard pan is a, in a field is basically where that guy's been walking as you throw seeds, right? It just gets trampled down. It's not going to grow anything, right? And then some of it scatters, and the seeds are like people who hear, but they're in very shallow soil, right? Get the picture? So, so we're trying to say, how do we identify with this story And there's a case to be made from approaching a parable from the perspective of the sower, okay? I mean, parables don't have to follow one thing. They they impact in all kinds of ways. The storylines can go all kinds of places. One of them is the sower. And when we want to show who Jesus is, we do that indiscriminately. We cast seed everywhere because people need to know, right? But I've I've read interpretations of this passage that strictly see it in evangelism mode, and, and they go so far as to say, so the application for us is only some seed is in good soil. We need to put all our energy into the good soil. Let's go where people are going to have a positive response. But, but this is talking about people and individuals. How do I know what somebody's heart is like? How do I know what's good soil? We we go. We teach. I think the more important way for us to deal with the story and say, how do we find ourselves in the story and what are the implications for us is to ask the question, how do we receive, how do I receive the word of God in my life? Day by day. I mean, some things that the word of God, the wisdom of God that comes through teaching and listening to the Holy Spirit, there are some things in my life I have to say, it probably hits me like the hard pan doesn't have a chance to get in. There are other times in my life, and it's going to be like some of these people that were clamoring after Jesus, right? He's doing miracles. Can I get some of that? Can I get a miracle? Can you do something special in me? Can you change my life that way? That would be awesome. And there's this emotionalism, and, and the plant springs up really fast, but all the energy is going up, and the soil is too shallow, and nothing goes down. There are no roots. And the grass and the plant withers and dies. It doesn't have a chance because it's based on something that isn't who Jesus wants to be in our life. I, I experienced uh, what that looks like physically with plants one time. We, we moved into our house probably 18 years ago now. First few years, we, in our front yard, we had the regular kind of main front yard driveway and then a, you know, a patch of grass down this side. And, and we moved in and you know, we'd put on the sprinklers. We moved in the spring and everything looked great. But this grass next to the driveway, like within... Six weeks was just gone. It would just dry up every, every year. And I'd tinker with the sprinkler system and, and man, it's not like we'd water it more, we'd fertilize it more, all this stuff. And every year for a few years, it just wouldn't get past like the middle of June. It was just dead. You know, so a few years in, we decided we were going to kind of change the landscape in our front yard, do some xeriscaping here and there. And so I, I rented a sod cutter and I'm doing some things on this side. And then we decided we'll just take all that grass out on that side and do something different. So, so I go over and start using the sod cutter, and it's like, wow, this is just really easy. 
just go back to roll it up. If you ever use the sod cutter, you get to the end, then you go roll it up so you can get rid of it. Started to roll it up and realized there was more grass under it. Like, like, like the person we bought the house from to make everything look nice, it just rolled new sod out on top of this old awful piece of the lawn. So we moved in. It's like, this is awesome. This grass looks great. And six weeks later, it's toast. Happened every year because there was no place for the roots to go. It could just go up after fresh spring, new water, some fertilizer, and that's it. Burned itself out. I understood that. And there, there are things in our life where we so desperately want the things that Jesus might give or we want him to give that we, we don't really trust his word and the wisdom he brings. And when that emotionalism of that thing goes away, it, uh, it goes out. And then there are other times that the soil in our lives, how we receive the word of God potentially, is that it's choked out by competing things. So it's like the seed, it's like the people who are seed that fall in the soil that, that, that has lots of thorns growing in it. In other words, the soil in and of itself is fine. There's something to grow there, but it gets choked out by other concerns, a concern for wealth and anxiety of the day. And if I were to summarize people in that, that type of soil, and, and I'm one of them, because I think we all are, we can easily say we're satisfied with our understanding of God but we're completely dissatisfied with all the other things that we already possess. Like, I love Jesus. I go to church regularly. I I read my Bible. I believe Jesus saved me. I believe he's the Messiah and he's Christ and he's the Lord of all. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe all that about Jesus, but I am really concerned about my job. And my energy goes towards how am I going to have retirement? Never. My kids are a mess. My relationship with my wife is really hard right now. And those become our focus. And people say, how you doing? Well, I know, things are okay, but oh, these things are driving me crazy. And they crowd out the word that God brings to us. Squeezes out. So that can't even be something we grasp. And it will never grow in that because it's choked out by all these other concerns. We're satisfied with the wrong thing. I'm satisfied with what I know and how Jesus is at work. I am dissatisfied with my bank account. And that's what I care about. Right? That, that, that's how life plays out. And I think good soil flips that around. I've learned to be content in all things, says the Apostle Paul, in wealth and in poverty. Uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. His mercies are new every morning. The, the, the fruit of the Spirit that needs to take root in our life, those are the things that we should be clamoring after. We should want and be dissatisfied with how deeply we know Jesus. And want to know more, knowing that his mercies are new every morning. But we should look at the other stuff and say, this is the stuff I have to walk through in life. And God is giving me the strength to do that. We get it backwards. And then it says others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. One of the things we need to understand in this passage is that this, this crop This is not a miraculous bumper crop. This isn't talking about something huge. If you just have good soil, you're going to have enormous bounty. This is talking about a seed. One seed of wheat grown in the ground turned into a stalk and a plant that has 30, 50, 100 other little seeds. That's normal farming. The promise is those who seek God, 
who, like the disciples, said, can you teach us more? We're not going to get it yet. It takes us a long time because we're kind of dense. But keep giving us, keep teaching us, keep seeking us. When you do that, you're going to grow. You're going to be what I created to be. You're going to do amazing things because I created you for that. In fact, a huge crop only happens when it's combined with all the other crops of all the people who are seeking to know more and learn more and be receiving the word of God as good soil. What I find interesting is, is Jesus went to a lot of detail to define what made bad soil bad. Soil was too shallow, dirt was too hard, there are too many competing things, but he, but he didn't tell us how to overcome those. Because we want to say, okay, so these things are crowding out. What do I have to do so they don't crowd it out? What do I do to have good soil? And he doesn't say that. He just says some of the soil is good. And it produces what it's supposed to produce. And that messes with us again. It's still obscure. You don't, you're not giving me the right answers. You're not giving me three fill-in-the-blanks and an application point. You're not giving me what I need so I can check the box and say, now I have good soil. You see, if we allow this story to come out of the realm of strictly saying this is about evangelism and some people get it and some people don't, we've missed this deep point of what Jesus wants to accomplish in our lives, which he wants us to ask the question, what kind of soil are you? How do you receive the word of God in your life? And what I would dare say is that most of us on any given day have all four kinds of soil. It happens. And the idea is to say, well, how do I become aware of that? How do I ask Jesus, show me? Show me through your Holy Spirit how how things are choking out and what are they? And that's a tough place to enter into. See why I'm saying a parable isn't a simple little story to illustrate a point or to help us grasp some idea of truth? No, it is the truth. It is kingdom truth. And it's meant to stir us up and ask really hard things. Because as somebody who stands up here and teaches the word of God, for me to say, there are competing things in my life that choke Jesus out of it. Well, I'm not supposed to be that way. I'm supposed to be good soil. And it's a hard place to find yourself. But in Jesus' upside-down kingdom, he says that's what's absolutely necessary. If you ever want to have the transformed allegiances and expectations and outcomes and commitments and the the growth I promise. If you want those things, you better let me turn that world upside down. As we saw a few weeks ago, the people who we thought should get who he was, like the religious leaders, they'd been waiting for somebody like this. They didn't get it. They they aligned Jesus with the devil. We, We thought his family should get it. They knew him best, but they thought he was insane. He says it takes openness to what I'm doing, openness to receiving my word in ways that transform you. That's what it takes. And you can't be indifferent. You have to come to me and say, tell me more. Help me understand this. Help me grasp this. And as we've already seen to a degree, and we'll see more and more as the book of Mark continues, that those disciples, those ones closest to him, were pretty dense. They had to come, come, keep asking him because they, they didn't get it, no matter how many told him. And, but he told them over and over. He says, yeah, 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 you didn't get that, but let's try again. It's about fresh starts. It's about things flourishing where once nothing did. As we stand and look at this story, and we see this as an approach to how do I receive God's word in my life day 
by day by day. Knowing that it's ongoing as we learn to know Jesus more as we go along the way. We have to admit that we don't always get it. And we have to admit that sometimes I've just read this great passage from the Bible about the peace that passage understanding and says, God, that's how I want to live. You are my peace. And two seconds later, I'm yelling at the guy over here because we don't get along. I'm going to ignore that. Well, what about the, yeah, whatever. As much as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. Mm, yeah, I believe that, but yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm ticked off. Well, it, It's not taking root. There are other things crowding that out, and and we have to go through that process every day. But you know what? God loves to work with us in those moments. He loves for us to honestly come before him and say, yeah, I'm letting that crowd out. You know that peace that passes understanding thing? You know that joy of the Lord is my strength thing? Like consider it all joy when you go through struggles at any time? Yeah, I'm not choosing to do that right at the moment. And I don't like this. Admitting that is a good step. And Jesus, show me how for that to become good soil. As a church, we have to ask those questions. You know, Stapleton Fellowship Church has been in a transition for a while, like a year or so of pretty big changes. You're searching for a pastor. We've had changes in, in different things. And it would be easy to say, like shallow soil, if things were good, I would be good. But, but I don't know what's going to happen next week. And we've, we've had changes. I don't know what to deal with that. I'm not good with transition. I'm not good with change. And Jesus wants to say, this is, this is an opportunity for good soil. And there are so many things that can choke things out. And we say, here's the word. How do we receive the word of God? But it's easy to say, yeah, but these are difficult times. I don't know who's going who's to lead worship next week. Uh, when are we going to hire a new pastor? Um, how are we financially? I mean, we can ask all those things that crowd out truly receiving the word of God. Like good soil that God wants to bring about in our life as a church and wants to bring about to impact this community. And so we have to battle that and say, I don't want to be hard pan that lets your word bounce off because I'm mad. I don't want it to be shallow and say, well, if you do this one really good thing, then I'll know you're true. And we want to have roots. We want to have the word of God help us go deep, not just up. And we want to say, God, show us those things that are crowding you out. How am I getting in the way of what you want to do? Show that to me so I can be good fruit. Show that to us so we can be a church that has a bounty and accomplishes who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do. Parables are not catchy little stories. Go, yep, heard it. You plant some seeds, some of it grows, some of it doesn't. You tell some people about Jesus, some of them believe it, some of them don't. Now we better turn this story in. Say, how do I receive the word of God? And I have to admit that sometimes I'm hard as a rock. And sometimes all I'm looking for is a good emotional fix. And sometimes I'm more concerned about the stuff that I think I don't have than about knowing Jesus deeper. But God gives us the chance every day to turn bad soil into good. And he's the one that makes it happen. But he says, you know what happens? You come to me. Ask me. Seek me. Seek wisdom from people in your life that know me. Seek my word. Listen. Admit that you don't have good soil every day. Admit that you're a little bit of each. And day by day, we're going to grow more and more, and you're going to produce what I planned and made you to produce. What a glorious story. 
We better pay attention to it. We can't leave it alone as something that happened once upon a time or it happened once in my life when I said yes to Jesus. It happens every day. And his mercies are new every day. And his grace is sufficient every day. It's a great story. Latch on to it. Put in roots. Let's pray.